1910, St. Stephen's Day. And I've been murdered since, my poor old Stephen. I went to uh, the Presentation Convent School, which was a free school. There was no such thing as money or anything like that. And I made my first communion from the Presentation. And then I graduated to the Christian Brothers in Six Instances. And I went to school there. We had a class every Sunday. We used to call it class. Ten o'clock religious instruction. And all school money was one, one old penny a week. My father was a placid, quiet man. And like myself, we, we were in the buses in our own houses. There was always the driver behind us. But my mother was the driving force in our family. I have three brothers, one is dead, and I have three sisters and the other alive. We lived in Ancelgrin Street. Well, it was a fair house. We had running water, which very few people had. We had gaslight in the house, which very few people had. It was all lamps and candles that time. We had toilets arranged sanitary, which no one had. Or very few people. It was all old buckets and out in the road and all that class of thing. And we were fairly comfortable. We had no money or we had no, but we had something. My father was uh, an accountant in his own way. There was an, uh, a printing company, when O'Connor and Company printers. And he was the, the clerk or the accountant or whatever you like. He was doing all the clerical work in this place. And he was a very religious man and a very methodical man. And if you hear handwriting, it was like that perfect hand. And he, was, he could add three, fi three lines of figures together up. Pound shillings and pins. Look at them, up along that way. And down there. No tit, 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 and cash register, computers, or anything that It was all up between his ears. And then during this, the black and tan time and the Civil War, my mother was an old, an old, torrid, touch, she was mad Republican. And at that time, Limerick was full of lanes. You could look from one lane in the house into another, and the clothes would be hanging out, the windows to dry. And what they had, they used to, put the, the, the sweeten brush out the window and it was a rope going out along and a, a triangle and that's the way that the, the clothes were dried. At that time, lo and behold, you used to give a half a crown to get possession of these houses to Larkin. It wasn't, wasn't Larkin's house, it was. And 
Well, you see, they were turned into tenements, the houses were, and they're absolutely destroyed because they, um, they sat on the steps and all the children were sitting and squatting on the steps and um, the washing out the window, <laughs> blowing. I'll stuff you up the chimney pot, the chimney pot, the chimney pot. I'll stuff you up the chimney pot and why, oh, you. The chimney pot is cleaner. I remember McCartney. No, I remember him quite distinctly. When his wife was killed, she was shelled out in Adair. She was the, the driving force behind him and, and behind all the, the Republicans at the time. She was a, an out-and-out -out Republican. And the Free State Forces And shelled the Adair Hotel, and he happened to be there. He was injured. He had a flesh wound here. And he was at one side of the hotel, and she was at the other. And uh, when, she, when the shelling started, she ran across the veranda to try and get to him to get him out, and she was blown to bits. But then he made his way to our house because she was my, one of my mother's best friends. And Mama put him up and had him. And I can remember that. I can remember he being in the house, and I can remember he getting up in the middle of the night and going into Mama and Dada's room. You know, he used to say, oh, Peg was her name. Peg is in the room with me and all that sort of thing. Mickey Danford, the captain, they used to call him. He was an out-and-out -out Republican. And he was on the run. And he came to, he was trying to get, you see, you could get through our garden and get onto the Abbey River. And they'd have boats there and they'd get away. So he was running. And my mother said to him, don't, Mickey, she said, don't. I'll put you in my loft and you'll be safe. And he said, no, Mrs. Handley, he said, the children. I'd be afraid that the children would be injured. And he went down and um, got onto the boat, but was captured. And they took him to the Brickfield, wasn't it? Yeah, Valley Simon Road. Valley Simon Road, and they murdered him there. They shot him. My father was in the sacred sanctuary, he was a prefect in this. He was a prefect, you know, on the Tordal and the Franciscan. But a very simple, quite kind man. I don't think he ever raised a hand or a crossword to any of the six of us. And my mother, God be good for her, I was a bit of a terror, and she said to me, often and often, look here, I'd be doing something out of the way, or maybe further for the altar. I was expelled three times as an altar boy. She said to me, I can do nothing with you. I leave you to God. I leave you to God. The first job I got was with the Prudential Insurance Company. I had 25 bob a week. Great job. I got into a row in a, in a bit of an argument here with the manager, stupidly. I sent him a telegram, the sweeps were just started. And he was in England and London. I sent him a telegram that he drew a horse. And then the Shagan horse, when Greckle was his name, I think, the horse won the national. And he had a telegram, and he was, was celebrating in London. Have you, and he hadn't drawn the horse at all? Not at all. And why had you sent a telegram? I was a blackguard. 
Because it was a, I don't know, it was a mischievous, yeah, or mischievous, or witty, or humorous. Call it whatever you like, but I was, I don't know, I was transferred down to Tralee. And I went down to Tralee on promotion, supposed to be alleged, from 25 bob a week here to 32 and sixpence below on Tralee. My digs were a pound a week. Good digs. Second next door to John Joshihi. He was second next door to me, including Big Terrace. And where the late, where Dan Spring is living now, I stayed for two years in that house. But I had a good time in Tralee. And I, I, at that time then, I was an intensive reader. And I read all about 16. LaRue, I think was the fellow's name, the Roses. He, I bought volumes and I was paying him every week for these things and reading up. And there was uh, monthly, then I think it was answers or some monthlies like that. And I was reading and reading and it was all about Wolf Torn and my mother and thinking about my mother and Collins and the Republicanism and being a young fellow and all that class of thing. And I got deeply involved. In 31 then, we were very active. Frank Ryan, Sean Russell, Moss Toomey, Sean McBride, Con Lahan, the Gilmores. McBride came down and he was driving a Fiat car. One of them with the roof, so you know, the folding roof over it. And a bulldozer, I'll never forget it, a brass bulldozer, uh, radio on it. What's called the radiator on it? And he pulled up at John Joshi's office, the New Ireland Insurance office at the Benner's Hotel at the chapel. And he went into Sheehy. And we had arranged to meet, oh, was in Johnny Connor's house in Farmer's Bridge. And McBride was in there, and uh, the blue Black Mariahs were there, CID cars at the time, the hoods again, and pull up hoods and pull down, all that. They were behind McBride's car all the time. McBride went in to Sheehy's office, the New Orleans. That goes down the lane and comes out to the courthouse. They went in there. They came out the window at the bank and left the boys sitting outside in the 32 election. And they, they decided they were having a final rally or a big rally in Tralee for Con Brosnan. And they had a whole arrangements made below on Denny Street and all that. And we, we organised and decided that this thing wasn't to go through. And they met up outside the sports field and march, were marching down the town. And we were along along the roads, throwing stones and battering them and everything. And we had arranged that Cosgrove was to be done. And I was detailed. At the time, as I said, these motor cars, these bonnets, and they run boards. No such thing as a step at all. There was a board along, and you stepped on this and into the car. So, during the melee, they turned the car. We knew that they were going to start above at the sports field and walk down the town, march down. It was a band, or there were no bands. And they were marching down to Denny Street, and we decided to line the streets and stones and all that class of thing, which were there in the road at the time. There were no concrete roads that time. And I was detailed to do it. And he was coming up. And I jumped on, on the, on the on, I was young. And he was, he, they were backing away from the meeting. It was abandoned anyway. But he was coming up. And I jumped on the running bones. And I said, you were for it. Before I knew where I was. I was in the flat of me back in the road. The driver gave me a nudge like that. You know, in the belly of the chest or something with his elbow and threw me in the flat of my back. At my other well cross, 
I was only looking at it yesterday below with Dan Spring and I came up that way and I was showing the lads. They wanted to know where it happened. The rights and liberties secured by the treaty must be preserved. And I pray to God from that day to this that it didn't happen. of our membership of the British Commonwealth of Nations and of our proximity to the British market. His son. He became chairman of the racing boards afterwards and I miss him as chairman of the bookmakers and he'd go up at meetings and things like that. So he was very polite and all that. And I don't think it was generally known what's known now about I didn't say much about it and he mightn't have known on it. But since then, and I met Liam, and Liam is the greatest gentleman I know. The goal that we strive for, my worthy old friend, is the goal for which brave men and strong have given their lives and that goal will be won when the blue shirts come marching along. Duffy also the guards, the McBrennan chief of staff of the army. So Duffy went off, himself and Ned Cronin. Wasn't it Ned Cronin? Twice, I think, from Charleville. They formed the blue shirts and he went around and he was doing this and doing that and doing the devil. And this and they put on these blue shirts and Dave went to town in a big way. These are Hitlerites and these are fascists and they're all that kind of thing. And that uh, the, the Fine Gael fellas were breaking up the Fianna Fáil meetings. Mm. That mm. was it. Mm. And Duffy was going around and the blue shirts were formed and all that class of thing. They were holding meetings and blue shirts and fascism and David went to town in a big way. And Duffy said he was going to go into Kerry. And he was going around the country, I'll go into Kerry, it's spite of my and We made up our minds by, if he comes, he mightn't go out, the way he'd come in. And we sat down and we planned and we thought, and we said we'd do him anyway. Now, we had a man here in Limerick. I was in Torino at this time. We had a man in Limerick. And we surmised that he'd drop into some place in Limerick for a cup of tea or something from Carry Dublin, on. that that would be his job, and we decided that. We thought that. And as we thought, happened. The next thing, we get a phone call to a bookmaker's office in Tralee that they had just left Cruises, three cars. Out we went, to just where Belly CD Memorial is now, thereabouts. And I, at the time, I had been in Blackrock and Dev had been in and out presenting messages and I, I got to know these fellas and who was going to select who and who was going to know this and that. And I said, look, I, I know Duffy and recognised him if I saw him. Right, you go down there to that gate. And I went down to the gate. Now, there'd been, there'd been three cars. There was a, on the left, going in, there's a height, well over the road. And the lads were up there, about 12 or 14, maybe 20 of them, all armed, three or threes. So I went out on my bicycle, and I was standing in the gate, and I was showing the lads the white gate like where I was standing, even last night. I was standing, but we forgot one thing, that we put no hold up or embargo or barricade on the road, an old cow or an old car or anything. And I was standing, I saw the three cars coming, full belt now, say 50 mile an hour, that time was like a jet now, flying mad. Jesus, they were, and here I was, and I was Adam. Cars flash by like this. Jesus, say what I do. No, I didn't want to do the wrong thing. I, I wanted to do Duffy anyway, or at least I wanted to give the lads, let them do him, or whoever was to do him. But I didn't know, Jesus, direct me, say what I do. 
Before I could make up my mind, mind the cars were gone. I came into the lead. I'm coming down the road, and who comes on? And they'll let Johnny Connor. I'll blow your brains out, such to be. Johnny says, What in the name of Christ could I do? I didn't know which car he was in. The car went in to the lead. And Duffy got off the car somewhere around Bennett's Hotel and walked down the street in his blue shirt. And a lad, I forget his name, but he was in the, the Fiena. He was a good lad when he in the Fiena at that time, it was below. He dashed into McCone's hardware shop and he got a snapped a, a hammer off the, 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 the counter and rushed out and hit Duffy two or three belts down across the back with the, with the, with, with the hammer. Then the whole of the started. We don't want the agents of England here! All out then. We were in the town and battered them and they, were, they held their meeting in the Forester's Hall. Wasn't it the Forester's Hall? Yeah. They held their meeting in the Forester's Hall. It was about a half a dozen at it. But anyway, the guards were out and we were out and they were battering charges and up and down the town. And the next thing, the army arrived after about. Uh, couple of hours of this skirmishing up and down the streets and through the windows broken and batting chances flying all directions and the, the military arrived with their through tear gas bombs all over the place and suffocated us all. Your eyes caught up on your chest and your voice, everything went with these tear gas bombs. So we had to um, we had to break up. Duffy made his way back afterwards. He went away around the back of Tralee and out over onto Castlemaine, over into Killarney, and got back to Dublin. But there was no meeting. From those eventful times, we were in more or less a vacuum. The Republican movement was practically scattered because of the Ashery, the resurrection of uh, the, 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 the movement in the north of Ireland. And the ruthless way in which it was being carried out and the Northern Republicans did not see eye to eye with our movement from a way back. They were more erratic or more in a hurry about things. And they wanted to do things that we did not agree with down in the 26 counties and they were ruthless in their approach. In, as a matter of fact, they went off to bomb England out of existence and to kill unfortunate innocent people and school children and women and all that kind of thing. And we were totally and completely opposed to that. And still are. And all that's left we never wanted that guy, and we couldn't possibly condone it. But that approach, I believe, finished the most of us. And we said it was time to call it a day. And McBride said, we'll start the party and 
he got me from me or Paddy Morkler was there from Ballina and he got say, 30 or 40 of us together and got this thing going in uh, 47. He went further than that in the formation of the clan. He went to his friends who were IRA men and who had for one reason or another had got away or did, were disenchanted and who thought the cause was lost and while Devil Ella was there nothing could be done or would be done. And we started clown the public there. Because of the way the Devil Ella, the ruthless manner in which he was riding his rough shot over his opponents, over his political opponents. When you agreed with De Valera, you were a great fellow, and he looked after you. And he did look after all his old pals that did look after him and who sided with him. By way of this thing, of jobbery here and jobs there and all kinds of appointments here, there and everywhere. Round holes and square pegs and all kinds of things. Then Sean, you see, was the type that uh, he involved women as well. And he considered the woman's point of view, you see, and uh, which was a new thing in those days. I mean, women weren't considered at all, nor considered in any way. Howsoever, anyway, we used to be chatting and talking here. He'd be, come down to the kitchen to me and say, don't bother about me now, Peg, I'll cook my own breakfast. And, and he was that type of man, very natural human man. So anyway, I started then. Then Ted went then, and Ted failed. And then the clan was started, and then Steve, the corporation election came up. And that was in 1951. And I was pregnant on young Tady at the time. And I had to stay in bed for eight months before Tady was born. And I was in bed all through this hullabaloo. But howsoever, anyway, my father came up and he, he brought me a book. And I used to hold meetings uh, even in my room and I had a group of women. But when I got on my feet then, after Tady was born and things like that, we, we started this ladies' group, Housewives' Choice. And I'll never forget the day that uh, we all wanted to have a meeting and we didn't have any place to have a meeting. But Steve arranged anyway that we could have a meeting down in the town hall. And... Um, Chrissy Morrissey arranged this, and she had banners and everything. Housewives' Choice, Steve Coughlin, the Housewives' Choice. And we marched down O'Connell Street, right down uh, that other street, right down to the town hall, and banners and everything flying, and we held our meeting there. And about 50, at least 50 women. And we went out on our own, and we got all the difficult coast places to go to. The women were sent to all the difficult places to go to, where we, we thought we wouldn't get a vote at all. Like the Irish states and places like that, you see, where there were completely different people altogether. And we'd have to go there, and we'd have to canvas all the difficult places where the men took the soft options, <laughs> in other words, where they knew he was safe all around here and all that place. But... Um, However, we continued on, and uh, we worked very, very hard, and Steve was elected. And uh, he, he was on the council, and he was elected an alderman, 
even on his vote, and he remained an alderman for 30 years. Dev, three by-elections came up then. We fought the three of them on the slogan, put them out. We won two and lost one. Sean won one and Paddy Canaan won the other in Artipreri. On that slogan, put them out, and we did. We let in the coalition government, but unfortunately there were too many bricks in a small fire. Too many big fish in a small pond. You had Clownatalone, you had Labour, National Labour, Official Labour, Clown and Public there, Independence. You had a whole dog's dinner of political, politically forum there together. And trying to keep them together was something that no one on earth could do. But we got them out anyway. And that combination ran into trouble over the modern child scheme proposed by Noel Brown as Minister for Health. I thought that he was a great person, a wonderful doctor, and most considerate. And uh, he had, I thought, uh, very advanced ideas, you know, particularly about women. I was sitting alongside him at a, the table during a, a, a dinner, and he said to me that, uh, which I thought, you see, that he was just thinking about women, maybe. Well, I suppose he was too, I suppose. And he had this idea, I suppose, about women, that women should always uh, be considered, and that sex, that twice a month was enough for any man to have sex with his wife. Now, those are the words he said to me. First of all, I objected to the very fact of a schoolboy who hadn't yet finished his, his learning days at school, was taken out and put into something of responsibility the health of a nation. I objected to that. And I said, and many others like me, we objected because it was not the thing to do. You've got to come up step by step. He didn't. And when he came up overnight, his head and his ideas overtook him and overtook what was left in, the, in his carcass. And he went off with his highfalutin ideas. And, let me say this and stress it, there was a lot of money and piles of money lying idle in the sweepstakes money, hospitals trust money, lying idle, millions. And McBride pointed this out to Brown and told him, look, get busy on this. You can do something about this. You had TB, you know something about it. But the money is there and don't forget it. She's lying idle in the hospital's trust. Get it out and go to work on TB. Well, I always found Noel a very gentleman, uh, utterly, completely gentle, and uh, a very nice man to talk to, and was always very interested in the woman's point of view, particularly where um, birth was concerned. He didn't believe that any woman should uh, have uh, more than about two or three children. I spoke to him one night at a dinner, he was sitting next to me, and uh, that was his opinion. I suppose it was on account of his own mother. Who had who suffered. suffered so much, had such had a big family, and they all died of TB. 
And uh, of course, then I got the impression later on, when I got to know him better, that he had a big chip. And not a chip, but a block on his shoulder about this mother and child scheme. And I don't think anybody ever understood it properly, what he was about or what he was trying to do and things like that. But of course, he, he was way before his time. He was a young doctor, and as uh, Steve has said, he was brought into politics and put into a position that uh, he um, was uh, too young for. And he, as I said, he had these ideas, and uh, which were very good and which are accepted now. We had a meeting in Dublin when McBride and Brown broke away at that meeting. And at the meeting, I said, before we left, we sat down at the meeting at 12 o'clock on the Saturday. We broke up about 8 o'clock on Sunday morning. And as we were going, now lads say, look, no words to anybody. We'll all meet again now next Saturday and we'll decide on what we're going to do. And as Lord behold you, we were coming across O'Connell Bridge that Sunday morning and there were the banner headlines across the window. We got the independence. And there it was. We had Clan Spliss and Brown and Hatton and Gone and all that last thing. And there was a black flag put out of the Clan rooms in Herbert Place over the mother and child scheme and the way Noel Brown handled it. And the way he was photographed that he was playing. Oh, yes. Yeah, the way he was playing with the two sides, and he got himself publicly photographed with the two bi Protestant bishops. And McBride took exception to this at all party meeting, the way there was this done, and that he was playing this way and that way. Now, anyway, it happened that the, the split came, and then I said, now here's a chance to bring the clan back again, and I'm having a go for the mayoralty. Now, this was prompted me. Originally. Then I got down to work. And by chance or by connivement, I don't know, but anyway, I was elected. And I came back up the following, the following week and I came up to Sean. And he was in the hall at the time. And I came up to the room to him and I said, Show this and that and talking. And I said to him, Look, I said, I am going to ring John Charles. For what to say to me? See, he won't see you at all. Oh, you know, I said, I'm telling you, he will. So I took up the phone and I rang Drumcondra. I wanted to speak to his grace. Who's speaking? Steve Cock, Limerick. Just so I know. Well, next thing, John Charles comes on. Congratulations, Steve, and things like that. Says, I'd like to go and pay you a courtesy call. Welcome, he says, I'll be waiting for you. Because he had taught me in Blackrock previously. And I said, I'm here in Sean McBride's room. And I said, I've, I haven't transport. And I said, Sean will bring, well, bring him along, bring him along. So we went out anyway, and lo and behold, he was as good as he was to send in the waiting in the central contract. Come on, into the room. And we went in and sat down. And I can tell you, I wasn't in much humour at that hour of the morning for any kind of ecclesiastical discussions or deep discussions. I was more intent on trying to bring back my health. And we were sitting down and we, we went over the modern child scheme, the whole thing with him. And he told us, look, what, the way Brown used to call out to him and ask for advice on this and advice on that. And his grace used to tell him exactly what he wanted and exactly. And Brown used to leave him convinced that that would be done.
and that's the way he would put it. And what did Brown do? He came along and did the very opposite. And the discussion went on those lines for, oh, I was there maybe an hour or maybe more. And, of course, the thirst was getting thirstier and thirstier. And the tea was coming in. And it was a big room. And I got up and I, I was going along the wall. Find the right house you have, Your Grace. I just did a fine dry house. Oh, yes, Steve, I got this done, and I got that done, and I did this. And, of course, oh, fine dry house you have. And here I was. He didn't catch on to what I was at the time. So, over anyway, so Sean, for God's sake, we'll out the gear. There was a pub across the Sean, come on, I want to get a drink in here. So we went in, and he never, never thought of this. And it was later when I met the Holy Ghost men, I told a couple of them this story about the fine dry house. And lo and behold, you, there was a consecration of a bishop. I don't know if it's Bishop Maloney or Bishop yes, Whelan. Yes, Bishop Maloney. He's still alive. He was out there from Scarra for fake or something. And we were all at, a lot of us were up at the, at the ordination, consecration. Sean T was there and Dave and the whole lot of them. Sean T started to tell us about when he was in Rome and what he told the Pope, the Pope said the treaty, the treaty was a great thing for Ireland. And I hit the table and said, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're all in us, we won't accept it. And Sean T was in full flight now. It seems, I'm told this now, I don't know whether it's the truth, but he had a special cup and it was just like an egg cup and he'd keep downing this all the time. Oh, Shanti <laughs> was well able to take his little sip. But anyway, he was telling us all about this. And the next thing, a priest comes down. And we were all back way down at the reception. There was the ladies and the piggy was up there. But they were all in another department. Oh, article. They weren't allowed in with us at all. And we were all there. And we were at the back. I don't know many of us. And we were away talking about ourselves and the young days and all that. Next thing, a note comes down. Uh, by a priest on a piece of paper and hands me this note. Oh, God. Sorry, like everything else. And written on there, not such a fine dry house today, Steve. J.C. McHugh. I knew William Rick so well. And I knew the people so well. And I mixed so much with the people. I said, I'll, I'll be able to meet them anyway, and I can do something or try to do something. And I sit myself down and I said, no, this is going to be a full-time job as I'm concerned. And at the time, I had five or six betting offices and I had a public house and I had four or five racehorses. And neglected all those things and devoted practically all my time to the military. I was here, there, and fighting for this one and that one. And kicking up our old governments for not doing this or doing that. And eventually I even fell out with, with, uh, with, 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 with de Valera over the neglect of Limerick as a developing city, particularly for the, 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 the daring industry. The dairy industry. And there was a chocolate factory to be on the way for some place. And naturally Limerick was the normal and natural place for it. But politics again pulled the other way, and the, the factory was given below Miloco in Tlanmel. Why was Limerick a natural place? Or? Well, it wasn't the centre of the uh, whole agricultural area and all the surroundings. We had all North Cork, all Tipperary, all Clare and all Limerick. You had the milk factories in Cleves and the tradition of... Everything there. The factory was there, premises was there, everything was there. Anyway, it went down to Tlanmel. 
Then I went to task, and there, you'll read it there. I took Dev to task then, and I wrote a stinging letter, which you'll see, to the two Sunday papers, the Independent and the Press. And I finished it up, and I said, Indeed, Mr. De Valera, you'll make a cat laugh. The meeting was on the Monday night, and there was a cinema strike here in America at the time. And I was walking down William Street, and who comes along on a great pal of mine? Bishop of Limerick, Dr. Pat O'Neill, who was Bishop of Limerick. And he was in Manood, and he was a great horseman and huntsman. And he'd meet me, Steve, how did such a horse run at such a meeting? Did he jump well? I broke that fella, and I rode that fella. You know, when he was in Manood, he was, he was a great man for the horses. And he used to be asking, oh, you're great friends. You're in trouble, he says to me. I am, I said, what about it? I suppose I'll have to fight and be out of it and do something. Let's well, see, will you take my advice, he said. Look, he said, as far as I'm concerned, he said, you're entitled to use in your defence what the other man uses in his attack on you. So we got out of but God said thanks very much. And I sat down then to think, now says I, I'm off to York. I'm off to York now, said I. And I went down and I had a bag of chocolate crumb. Now, chocolate crumb is, means, this is the dehydrated mi milk, coloured with this coconut colouring on it. And it is in a little piece like nuts. And I brought down a bag of it. And I dished it samples of it around to all the members of the council of the chair. They didn't know what was happening. And then they got up, Walderman Dan Burke got up. He was mayor of the Fianna Fáil. And they all got up, one by one, attacked me. What I had done to the Taoiseach and North Chief and insulted him, oh dear, you know, all this kind of stuff. I got a helmet power. Then I started. One by one, I picked them out. You. What did you do? And I brought stuff, I brought cupboards out of every drawer that was ever in their life. One by one. Every one of them. Not one did I leave off. One man did come up to me when it was all over. He was a fan of all men. He's dead since Councillor Jerry Dillon. He got Steve to see you were good. And I had some. That same night, I had gone back in Dillon that he wore a three-state uniform. You were in the Civil War as a three-state soldier. All that class of stuff. The crowd started to cheer and all that. There was no, there was no place else to go anyway. But the place was packed. They were down the stairs and all that class of thing. Dan Burke got up, God be good to me. You see what a heart hat. And he took his heart hat off the wall and stopped. I was never so insulted in all my life. He walked out the door. And of course, I just didn't say what. And now, uh, God be good to all oh, over now. The man went home and went to bed. And I remember I was going to Mallory's and uh, was Douglas Wonder, uh, whatever Wonder. I was going to Mallory's and he had died that morning. He never came outside the door, he was in bed. And I went up to his wife. He, was in the, uh, he lived in a pub down there. And I knelt down beside him in the bed. Never came out after it. 